They first met by chance, a professional meeting due to a circle of business fellows. He noticed something unusual about the way she moved. She had what some call a slim curve, and he later remembered she had refused to look at him when he looked at her. She noticed distantness in his glancing eyes. Soon she learned he possessed deep introspection behind the coldness, yet he was to become her beautiful man. A week passed. On a day when temperatures soared beyond normal, when radios trumpeted warnings to older people to stay in the shade, when young people flocked to the waterside with bottles of sunscreen, Peter sat in his office to sweat it out. Beyond the open office window, a car tire squealed. Warm air moved the papers across his cluttered desk. His agency was in one of the older university buildings, next to the district known for its bourgeois houses and upper-class apartments built over a century ago in Kiev's historic Podil district. The interior was roomy, remodeled in the last five years, but the air was still old and ancient. Musty smells floated in from the cooler central stairwell where the doors from each floor opened to face inward, the only means to condition the torpid air. I'm lucky, Peter humorously groused. I'm not on that top floor. As most in his office were away on a coffee break, he was alone for his own comfort. Some traipsed on foot to the park. Yet for Peter, the heat was too oppressive for coffee and too miserable to take a walk. Moreover, his office acquaintances were strangers who had never warmed up to him. Claim it on his upbringing, but he did not permit himself the long breaks to which the others attached importance. Years of Calvinist work ethic produced industry that turned into his vice. Generally, he would slog through the day until a task was finished. Obligation was the tonic of guilt. Americans love coffee, but they also love to work, to keep moving, unsettled in their day-to-day or week-to-week false aspirations. Perhaps too much, Peter stopped briefly to ruminate. He felt disturbed. The tranquility inside the old building made him suspect that he had missed something in life. An unspoken sermon about the superior qualities that lay above superficiality resonated through his head. Still, he missed its application. Perhaps he should join the others. The cars outside grew noisy and a whine from a passing moped distracted him. He looked up from the mass of papers that choked his desk and stared out into the lanes of traffic. Pedestrians walked in the shadows of the buildings, and even though the sun was not yet overhead, the walkers hid themselves from the consuming heat, coveting the cooler side of the walkways. Their pace slowed as the heat intensified. And while tonight's forecasted rain offered some hope, the blistering day continued to torment everyone. In the lane below his window, the American noticed something familiar. A woman approached his direction, moving her hips just so in her stride. Her form and manner drew him closer to the window. When he peered over the concrete lintel, searing air blew into his face. Yet from his better vantage, he recognized her as a former acquaintance. She looked busy, going somewhere, perhaps. Coffee, perhaps. In that moment, the universe temporarily immobilized itself, 
and became a memory that would redefine the rest of his life. He couldn't recall her name, but he had remembered her from their brief encounter. The heat was too awful to enjoy anything. The unhappy day grew more unhappy. He turned towards his desk and watched the papers move in the hapless breeze. Quiet returned to the street. His chair squeaked as he turned and he wasted time adjusting its back. The sweat spreading across his shirt made him conscious of his melancholy state. Peter returned to write reports to keep busy. He needed movement, but the emptiness of the office and the heat persisted like two indifferent companions that had tied his feet. Peter Williams was on a grant program from the U.S. regarding environmental studies affecting the region's water sources. Kiev, but generally Kiev Oblast, the larger region, had numerous problems with radioactive and industrial waste along the Dnieper River. As a hydrologist and engineer, he compared former USSR plans and recent Ukrainian plans to those outcomes stipulated by the growing European Union in the development for cleaner water standards. In addition, as part of his company's US-funded grant, he would compare those same criteria with a range of standards from various sites within the US, which also happened to be near nuclear plants, as Kiev was to Chernobyl. Although his research tasks were massive, he knew where to begin and where to go. All parties had hoped the studies would help several ministries within Ukraine determine if the earlier findings under the communists were indeed accurate. Old reviews were not generally trusted, as Soviet ministries regularly hid data and misled with falsified numbers to continue polluting some of Ukraine's most precious water sources. U.S. industries in environmental protection and sanitation services would be interested in any locale that might be receptive to their technologies. His expertise and resulting opinions would lead those decisions. Thus, a small report with a descriptive title, The 1982 Chemical Composition of 14 Test Sites from the Riverbed of the Dnieper, below the Borchny Sewage Treatment Plant, excited his attention with its statistics. He picked up the bland copy, thumbed to a particular page, but a knock on the door of the outer office, the main entrance from the staircase, interrupted him. The sound came again, and a woman's voice asked permission to enter. He knew that he was the only one in. All the same, he called out for the receptionist, pretending, as it were, using her name. It was an awkward and clumsy ploy to avoid contact since he hated trying to speak in Ukrainian or Russian. Spluttering his half-made lie, he wanted whomever it was to know he only spoke English. Yet no one answered. The visitor, the same acquaintance whom he had earlier seen on the sidewalk, entered his office through the door left ajar to entice the cool air up from the stairwell. Even though flushed from the heat with a perspiring brow, she was poised and collected, younger than him by a few years. I was looking for you, she explained in English. Yes, he mumbled and pretended to be uninterested, but pleased that she spoke English. I met you, she continued, but he interrupted her. Yes, we met at the university building, Professor Matvyachuk's office. She too remembered their first occasion, his smile and professional politeness. She had remembered then that he seemed different from her male office workers as he spoke directly and openly to her at that meeting. 
She recalled his American-styled suit with only two front coat buttons. The meeting itself, however, was altogether a disappointment. Often, academics and their staff arrange informal gatherings to review an issue proposed by some dean in some obscure program. Such get-togethers established only vague outcomes as the dialogue went round the tables, while few added their thoughts. At this event, the group quickly decided that the ideas they debated would not be feasible, hence another meeting, another wasted hour in academia. I apologize, he continued. I, I, I don't remember your name. She had not forgotten his, and in fact was in his office because she had remembered it. A prominent university member had asked her supervisor, a program director, to contact the American researcher. However, when her boss had learned that she had previously met the visiting fellow, the supervisor delegated the task to her as it had been delegated to him. Also, as her manager's English skills were terrible, he was too embarrassed to make the contact. Indeed, he was supposed to have requested Peter's assistance two weeks ago, but he had purposefully delayed due to his discomfiture. My name is Liliana Vasilenko. Mine is Peter. Peter... Dr. Williams, Liliana broke in politely. Yes, I know, I'm here to see you, she reminded him again. Her accent and broken syllables made him pay close attention. Yet her voice revived him, as did her presence. She smiled, then explained, I wanted to call, but my English is not so good. It was better to speak in person. I hope you don't mind. He did not mind, and his smile showed it. Liliana was pleasant. Her voice was sincere, but sultry and disarming, with the capacity to simultaneously provoke and mollify. Yet she was slightly unsure with her skills, perhaps as she was unsure of herself. He did not mind. Liliana thought how strange it was to speak English to an American, the first to whom she had directly spoken. She did not like her English skills, even though she had spent two months in Great Britain. Furthermore, American television and movies had left her flat, with no attraction for that culture. U.S. politics and the media were unsettling to her. America was too large in life, mythical in part. America was full of conceit. In the American psyche, Europe was properly divided between West and East, forgetting Central Europe. The U.S. was too sure of its opinions. However, despite such preconceptions, Peter Williams did not fit her notions of Americans. Indeed, he spoke genuinely to her, though he remained distant. He was not impatient, nor arrogant. She wondered what made him so aloof. Perhaps, she thought, she was unattractive to him. I'm here from the Agency on Environmental Development, she began. Wait. Peter spoke and rose from his chair. His shirt was wet at the back and clung lower down. Liliana noticed that he was fitter than she had recollected, with lean shoulders, balanced and nicely square. Perhaps he was a runner, she thought. Peter walked towards her and spoke in Ukrainian. Peter extended his hand, which she took. I'm learning Ukrainian, he explained. Did I speak it correctly? Yes, she agreed. He did nicely. He smiled again at her, and his smile fit his features well, nicely shaped under his strong, thin nose, reflecting his eyes' warmth. Yet when his smile disappeared, his reserved nature returned, and she wished for the former to reappear. 
she invited him to her director's office for a meeting, and they concluded their brief business. Peter escorted Liliana out, and as they chatted, Liliana commented on the rich pattern of color in the marble floor of the hallway leading out. Indeed, a few of the older buildings, some prior to the communist, but more that were part of the socialist classicism era, had elegant terrazzo patterns laid down as part of the Nuevo Flamboyance in architecture a century past. Black diamond designs marched around white marble flooring, the patterns paced up and down the hallway, moving rhythmically toward the center and out again. It is wall art, Liliana claimed, laid flat on the floor. The shapes looked simultaneously cheery and serious, battling between the emphases from the white terrazzo to the black strips. Each unique piece fit into a symmetrical theme. Peter agreed, yet was embarrassed that he had never really seen or noticed the floor art at his feet. In his daily routine, to and from work, he was only vaguely cognizant of the piecework. When Liliana explained her impressions, her comment revealed not only an obvious truth, but his astonishing lack of awareness. Peter asked without requiring an answer, do they not verbalize a mood? Without our consent, she laughed in agreement, the floor's art has already inspired us. It's what I adore about these old buildings and the former artisans. On his own floor, recent renovations of the interior, including his office, made the spaces bland and personal and boring, as if modernity had locked away the affairs of humanity. However, by some foresight, or lack of sight, during the remodeling, no one had changed the tile floors. Due to high costs, the floors had survived alongside the tasteless modern updates. Hence, while the renovations had muted the rooms, especially his office, they allowed the marble to live. I have an idea, Peter altered Liliana's exit and led her to the upper floors where he knew much of the original architecture remained unaltered. The pair walked up the solid stone steps, clean and buffed though worn. When they arrived at the penultimate level, it was as if they had climbed back a century. In that sanctum, the ebony tiles mixed happily with ashen marble rectangles, quadrangles, tetragons, and squares. The geometric patterns smoothly blended with wooden wall panels, aged by polishing hands. At different entrances, the marbles had bowed smooth, worn away by so many shod feet traveling up and down. Where hands had contact, the wooden doors to these rooms were doubly dark. Light drifted in without trouble through the singular windows routinely set opposite the entrances along the hall attached to the stairwell. Since the stairwell was open from top to bottom, the sum of the soft window light filled the cavity. Filtered by large trees planted decades ago in the outside courtyard, the light set a pleasant, almost eternal mood. With a whisper, the two spoke and heard each other clearly. These buildings are old, she laughed, but alive, perhaps more than most people I know. Liliana's voice was welcoming in the coolness of the sleepy stairs, a voice that could bend a man's mood. They were alone, as the last two floors were unused and empty. The sound of their whispers amused her, like a contented child who plays in safety at home. She had not known that feeling for years. Truly, her favorite places were the old buildings of Kiev. 
from pre-medieval churches to Ukrainian Baroque buildings. They seemed to converse to her, telling tales of times long past and lives changed. They were gulfs of shelter where she could seek refuge inside their solidity, sanctuaries for her mind. In them she could dream, see the ghosts of former lives, and feel the communion of her culture, that is, Ukrainians from different eras, different governments, but all Ukrainian. She liked the old building that Peter showed her, and she liked Peter showing it to her. Someone had ornamented the single window on their level with a potted plant, which drew Liliana's attention as she began to leave. She stepped closer to inspect. The plant seemed to cry out for water as if waiting for someone to nurture it, cherish its beauty, and recognize its uncomplex life. Liliana touched the dry soil. Do you mind if I get it water, Dr. Williams? She asked without looking at him. Please, but call me Peter, he replied. She turned and oddly looked at him. He explained, sorry, but I don't use titles, or at least in the States we don't, unless it is a professional occasion, or I just want to maintain distance. Not so much if I can avoid the custom. Liliana did not quite understand why there would be no such convention in the United States, but she respected his openness and hurried off to fetch a pitcher of water from his office kitchen, which she had remembered when she had passed through. For a while, Peter was alone. Drawn to its plum-colored flowers, he studied the plant, which he had never noticed. New, dark bloom spikes appeared above glaucous gray-green leaves, dry and leathery. The black soil was dusty. He touched the soil. Another altered moment rushed in, and the feeling took on shape and force. He suddenly realized that he was alone, in a foreign city, living off the professional politeness of a few acquaintances whose boring jobs and official capacities aided his work. Though friendly to him, his colleagues always kept certain reservations. Researchers come and go under such programs as his. Some officials politely promised him more time, more after-work beer and wine at some favorite bistro. However, none had found it possible to follow through while they complained of overfull schedules. Liliana returned and watered the thirsty plant. Something crawled inside Peter's head, a desire for a companion. Nothing untoward, just common fellowship, even if only for a minute. Peter considered asking her, a stranger, to share time for coffee or tea. The desire hurt his head and scratched at the back of his neck, but he beat it down. He did not wish to feel sorry for himself. This plant is very dry, Liliana emphasized the obvious as the water drained away. She seemed hurried, a bit stressed. Again, Peter's stagnation tempted him to open up the conversation when Liliana spoke. Uh, excuse me, but I, I must not be late for other visits today. I have errands to attend to, she awkwardly explained. She was already late, she added as an afterthought. In truth, Liliana had only one errand. She had lied, for she suddenly grew ill at ease as she recognized a feeling rise within her, one which had set off panic. She avoided looking Dr. Williams in the eyes. It was too uncomfortable. The plant was not her plant, and yet she gave it water and served it in a very small way. 
watering a plant was of no consequence to her, to her boss, to Peter, nor anyone. The plant was insignificant, unimportant. The water in the container, too, was trivial. Yet her action was eternally physical, forever spiritual. In the flash of a moment, as the water filled the plant holder, she had realized the distressful truth. Her life was the same as the plant. Her panic was too much, and like a door opening from behind, she jumped to close it. She wished to leave and push the rest of her day before her to occupy her thoughts in their rutted, reassuring boredom. Liliana had hurried too fast up the stairs with the water, but it was the disconcerted mood that started her sweating. All the same, it was easy to overheat on this day. She was embarrassed, out of balance, and did not know what to say, so she apologized for sweating her clothes. Peter dismissed it, referring to the heat and their natural condition. The conversation grew clumsy. Liliana grew more ill at ease. She touched the wet, cool soil of the plant and felt its approval. She needed to reassure herself she had done well. The sensation made her relax. As they walked down the stairs, Dr. Williams joined her at her side. Neither spoke until she was past his office level and back on the first floor. She thought it odd that Peter did not stop at his level, but said nothing. The entrance was a set of double wooden doors that, on this day, kept the cool in and the heat out. Liliana paused to brace herself against the oven-like conditions outside. A curious question, though, placed itself on her lips. Did you say you were studying Ukrainian? She asked. Yes, Peter answered. And who's your teacher? Oh, uh, no one. I purchased a language course, but it's rather difficult. I can understand why, she replied with sympathy. Do you speak other languages? Liliana continued politely. Perhaps Russian. Some German, a little Italian just to travel there, Peter answered, glad to make more conversation. For Peter, her questions were soothing and brought to mind a childhood memory when his own mother's calming hands smoothed his forehead. As Liliana thought about Peter's interests, a spark in her eyes ignited. Indeed, Liliana considered Dr. Williams to be an interesting and pleasant associate. Others, mostly men, ungratefully pressed her for more work. Her boss regularly added duties with no consideration of her efforts. Yet Peter asked for nothing. Nevertheless, Liliana was unsure about Americans and sensed Peter's melancholy, which made him appear susceptible to a type of malaise much like her own. There is no teacher, she returned to her original question. No, I've tried to ask questions to my colleagues, but I think they're too shy or insecure about grammar to advise me. Some think of me as someone with higher status since before this job I was a university lecturer. Slightly tense, unsure of her place with a foreigner about whom she knew so little, Liliana volunteered. Could I help you? Yes, um, yes, I would like that, Dr. Williams answered with a budding excitement, something he had not shown before. I can't seem to get the book to answer my questions, he continued and smiled. As they stood inside the entrance in the cooler air, the pair briefly talked on and provided each other with their contact information. Their ease at conversing increased and reached a level of pleasantness. 
Peter smiled several more times, and Liliana declared she looked forward to any emails they would share. To lend a hand with her own language, perhaps even relate her culture, was no chore, she'd explained. Liliana enjoyed the mechanics of grammar and was proud of her heritage. Plus, the prospect mollified the emptiness of her office errands. By the way, Peter added, let me help you too, if you wish. Liliana Vasilenko smiled as she remembered why she had appeared in person and not simply phoned. It was her own insecurity about her English skills. Uh, yes, of course, she answered. Peter's intelligence was apparent, but another trait equally matched it. His capacity to listen, to take in things that she said. She left the building and entered the heated street. Directly overhead, the sun's brightness struck her, indeed momentarily blinded her, but she knew the way and walked on. Fewer people were out in the lanes, as it was one of Kiev's hottest days in recent memory. Liliana walked along the street with the goal to quickly get back to her office off of Kontraktova Square. She thought of the welcoming restaurants and bistros toward the cobblestone Andreevsky descent in the old city, but she had to hurry back for more projects. Along the fronts of the restaurants and coffee houses, people sat sweating in the rationed shade of big umbrellas while they lightened their day with cold beer, wine, or juice. Farther from the university, Liliana passed without noticing the familiar figurehead of Gregory Skovoroda, pointing the way to a former greatness. She merely glided along as a husk in the wind like so many other husks as she baked in the avenues. When she arrived back at her office building, walked into the elevator to arrive at the third floor, she felt tired. Her meeting with Peter had restored her dissatisfaction. The air inside was stifling. Something was wrong. In her absence, the underpowered air conditioning system had malfunctioned. Others returning or leaving complained bitterly how unfair it was to keep business hours in a building so unsuited for such heat. Perhaps it was. People were not working well. A few had ventured off to find cooler sections of the building, but others left for the afternoon. Liliana grew moody almost immediately. She pressed her mind forward to the tasks at hand, gritting her teeth to avoid pitching back at the whiners that filled each floor as she passed. It wasn't the heat so much as the need to gripe that motivated the complaints. She disliked the gossipers, the backbiters, those who bellyached regularly. She tried to think of more important items and wondered if tomorrow someone would think to water the plant in Dr. Williams' building. Already grass in the park started to wilt from the daily oppressive temperatures. She grew more distressed until a novel thought crossed her mind. I'll bring it more water, she spoke to herself. It was not so odd, she reasoned, and she always had errands to run, thus no one would miss her. Furthermore, her newfound obligation gave her a small pleasure, like a sweet kiss to a grandchild's forehead. Its virtue reassured her. It was service among the brotherhood of the living, purpose in the chaos of her afternoon. Yasna, her office mate, sat in the opposite end of the row of desks a few meters away and worked on dictation. She pushed the keys of her computer, watching the screen slowly fill with letters of meaningless words. Liliana spoke up. Yasna, what is the name of those plants with the lovely purple flowers shaped like a small bell? The leaves are green and form so. 
Liliana spoke as she shaped the outline of the flowering plant in the heated air. Yasna listened, but was too foggy-headed to catch the question. Liliana repeated it, and again deftly drew the leafy image in the air. Like this, Yasna said, and penciled a picture of the same leaf. Yes, that's it, Liliana replied, pleased to know that Yasna knew. I'm not sure. My grandmother keeps them in her house. Tears? Tears, she calls them, Yasna answered. Tears? Tears from somewhere? Yasna continued, but again unfocused. Tears from, uh, oh yes, tears from Persia. Liliana fumbled for the meaning and repeated the name aloud. Tears of Persia? She was thankful, but Yasna had already returned to her typing, lost in the mass of words moving pointlessly on the screen. Dictation was another's language, someone else's meaning. Yasna, the machine operator, vainly wove character by character another's thoughts into a fabric that she would never use. The work suited Yasna, but failed Liliana. However, Liliana liked the name with its unusual sentiment. Tears of a whole people, past and present. Surely a lost empire, as great as Persia had once been, had reason to cry. She pondered their endless tears. The name added dimension to her resolution to return the next day and water the lonely plant. She tried to think no more about the matter, and especially the American researcher. Work summoned her back to her world of irrelevance and triviality. Tasks needed shape. One short project this afternoon, and another to start. Yasna was ahead of her in the game, for she had been promoted last winter. Liliana was next in line for Yasna's job should she leave or ever promote upwards. But Liliana did not ask herself if she truly wanted it. The heat continued to make matters difficult. The air suffocated her. She fought to move through her schedule. The humidity hung on her skin and wrapped over her head like a shroud. Even though she steadily worked, she progressed only slowly. A few phone calls, a few contacts, and letters to remind various parties of more unavailing meetings for the next week, and she was exhausted. Sweat soaked most of her upper body. Only one other person in her office had remained. By late afternoon, she noticed a cool breeze float into the room. Someone had finally repaired the air conditioning system, but it was too late for today's work. I don't know why I try so hard, Liliana said to herself as she shut down her computer and switched off her desk lamp. She regularly told herself such, but she never knew how often. She would swear and exhale that phrase over and over, yet continue as before. She could not remember the last time someone had complimented her work or gave her approval, although she did her job well. Indeed, she was diligent and more careful than most others, those that she knew at least. She was more willing than anyone else to take on extra assignments, including her own supervisors. She had complained to her mother about this situation, but outside of her mother, she had spoken to no one about her sentiment. While she had a keen interest in research, none had noticed her talent. Her tasks at her firm were ordinary and unremarkable. Others who worked on different floors, different departments, were also underappreciated. An occasional compliment would surface for some exceptional effort, but the management were generally unable to praise anyone below them. They did not motivate, did not inspire. 
administration merely trusted the independent work habits of their people. As long as no one complained, all was well with them. For this reason, Liliana knew she must one day leave her job. But she did not listen to herself. Imagination belonged to children. Liliana was becoming a woman. And a woman had to be practical to survive. Liliana put away her work, cleared her desk, and elected to cool down by visiting a nearby ice cream van parked near the metro station close to her building's busy street, where sycamores, oaks, and other hardwoods lined the walkway. She waited in line, an uncommonly long line, of some twenty people, all boiling and ready for an indulgent treat. Liliana did not mind. She was in the shade and met a friend in the line. They chatted like two birds about nothing particular, and always returned to the topic of the temperature. How long would the heat wave last? Would tonight be the same? Would the rest of the summer continue so? Soon, strangers in line were talking to each other. As a few made jokes and others laughed, Liliana began to unwind. A slight breeze arose from the nearby Dnieper River, but lasted only for a second. Nevertheless, it provided a pick-me-up. A lighter mood appeared in the waiting line. Tonight might be cool, some exclaimed their hope. Eating ice cream in the shade of the large dappled trees lining the street was pleasant, so pleasant that Liliana's mind turned to childhood memories of her family gathered around similar places. Ice cream was always at the center. Her tongue captured the richness with long cool licks as her recollections played in her daydream. Ice cream cones were childhood friends. They nurtured dreams. They became rewards. People described sensations in comparison to them. Caught in her reverie, she ate too fast, and her head froze, which made her laugh. The ice cream was gone, and Liliana walked to her mother's parked car that she had borrowed for her extra errands that day. She drove home to her mother's house, where she also lived. The coolness in the empty residence was welcoming. Upstairs in her bedroom, Liliana took off her clothes, still damp from the sweat, and fell on her bed naked. It was dark when she woke up, hungry for a late supper. <laughs>